Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And thank you, John Hewlett, once again for that beautiful introduction. I still get chills hearing it every single night. I am Michael Wags, Wagon Connect, joined alongside by Scott Tobin. I want to welcome you into the Toasted Tavern. We are back live tonight and plenty of stuff to talk about. Baseball heavy tonight, but we do have a chance at a three-peat in the NHL. We got game one of the NBA Finals that happened just recently as well as many, many other things going on in the world of sports tonight. But first, Scott, how you doing tonight? It's good to see you and, and good to be back. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. I'm a little bit tired. I'm uh, burning the candle at both ends these next couple of weeks, but uh, doing okay. And like you said, it brings a smile to my face every time we hear that John Hewlett intro, that smooth voice. Just hearing him say our names is a is a fun thing. It sure is. And like, like I said, just gives you chills. It's awesome. We cannot thank him enough for what he did. All right, let's get into it because, like I said, lots of stuff to talk about tonight. MLB heavy for sure. We're going to start off with the Cardinals because, you know, it's our team. We've got to talk about the Cardinals. They're in action tonight against San Francisco looking for the sweep. Already up one nothing on a Nolan Arenado RBI double driving in Paul Goldschmidt. Johan Oviedo is on the mound tonight. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about... Uh, what's going on in this game as it progresses because we're watching it live, which is awesome. Uh, But let's talk about the last couple of days because we were kind of at the end of our rope a couple days ago over the weekend, but now we're in San Francisco and we're like, Oh, okay. All of a sudden we we, we're bouncing back we're playing against the first place team and we're winning. What is that all about? So just give me a quick uh, update on, you know, where the Cardinals are at right now as we approach the All-Star break because it's not where we thought it was a couple days ago and it may not be where we think they are in a few days as well when we play the Cubs. Yeah, it's kind of been it's kind of been up and down, but uh, they've definitely been in a rhythm the last couple of days. And, you know, it starts with their starting pitching. We've seen their starting pitching really kind of turn things around the last two weeks, honestly. You know, it's taken a little while for their offense to catch up, but they're scoring some runs the last couple of days. And and uh, hopefully they can keep it going, although the fact that Mike Maddox is out talking to Johan Oviedo already in the first inning, not the greatest sign in the world. Yeah, already two on in the top, in the bottom of the first. It looks like a couple of walks back-to-back, and uh, he's already in trouble. But we did see him pitch well in his last outing, which was a bit of a sign of encouragement because we, we thought he was going to get rocked, honestly, in Colorado. And he, he ended up pitching pretty well. He's, he may not be major league ready right now, but you can start to see maybe steps towards that 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 ultimate outcome and we were talking before we went on with with the Carlos Martinez injury now the uh the the ligament damage and him being out for an extended period of time this is a really really important start for Johan Oviedo it really is I mean you've got to figure out you know you're basically talking about two spots in your rotation that are huge questions right now you know like you said if people didn't hear you know what we thought was just a bruised thumb and no big deal for Carlos he had continuing pain Tried to play catch today, couldn't do it. They did more x-rays, and apparently he has torn ligaments in his thumb and is going to miss substantial time probably the rest of the season, or at least the rest of the regular season. So that's a big blow. So, yeah, you've got to get Oviedo to uh, kind of settle down, and that's just not a good start as he just gave up a base hit. Giants have the bases loaded in the first inning. Um, Yeah, you know, you've really got to get some consistency out of him because, again, you're looking to fill one spot in the rotation, and if he struggles today – you may have to look at two, and you know it puts pressure on Mo to make some kind of a move. I would think whether you do it before the All Star break, I don't know. Maybe they try to piece things together and get through this weekend in Chicago, and then try to do something over the break. You know, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with what they do in these next four games too. If they would win three out of four or all four of these games, then I think that really puts pressure on Mo to make a move at the deadline. So you talk about the next man up, essentially, at least for right now, what do you think the plan is? Do they slot John Gant back into the rotation? I mean, he's done well kind of piggybacking off of KK the last couple of times, and, and you know, there's not so much a guy in the minors. You can't really bring up a Matthew Libertor. He had a rough outing last night in Memphis, like you told me. He was good in four starting starts before that, but he kind of struggled. Do we see him come up maybe just for a spot start in Chicago? But I, mean, I don't know if you really want to. Open up your career against the Cubs. Uh, you bring up a Zach Thompson. What, what do you end up doing for that spot, or do you do a bullpen game and, and maybe extend Alex Reyes out a little bit, even though he is going to the All Star game? Get him a chance to get those innings. Yeah, you may end up having to do something like that. Although the problem with that is 
if you extend Reyes for a couple of innings, then you take away your closer for the rest of that series. You know, and we saw we saw all three of our back end bullpen pieces struggle a little bit this past week. They all had issues. Um, so I don't know. I mean, again, that's taking away a big piece from the back of your bullpen to try to fill a couple innings at the start of the game. So I don't know if that's the right answer either. You know, they're just in a really tough spot right now, honestly. Um, you know, because it's not like you can go out and it's not like you can go out and sign one of those free agents. Maybe, and this isn't the best solution in the world, but the Twins just DFA'd Matt Shoemaker. Um, his ERA was like seven point something. He was really struggling in Minnesota. But maybe you bring a guy like that in, you know, you give him the league minimum and give him a start or two and see if he could fill a spot at least until you could make a more substantial move. That may be the route you have to go, you know, something like along those lines. Well, another guy that got DFA was uh, Adam Eaton as well. Is that maybe something that the Cardinals do at least to kind of patch things up, like you said, until the All-Star break? Or are we should we be looking more along the lines of a bigger trade that will last longer? Well, you know, Eaton would be a guy that you would look at. I mean, he would be the fourth outfielder guy. He'd be that left-handed bench bat that could play the outfield a little bit. He really struggled against left-handed pitching this year. He does hit right-handed pitching pretty well, which is something that some of the Cardinal outfielders have struggled with this year. So, you know, Adam Eaton has been a pretty solid ball player in his career, so maybe you look at that move, you know, as that left-handed bench bat option, you know, sign him for the league minimum, bring him in. You know, he could be a defensive option as well, late in games or base running. You know, he's got pretty good speed. And then you can still go look for that bigger move at the deadline. And, and I, mean, I was, oh, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're good. They still need to add a couple of pieces to their bench. I mean, right now your bench is basically Matt Carpenter and Matt Carpenter. Eesh. Yeah, I mean, as much as he's kind of improved this year and people have kind of backed off their criticism of him a little bit, that's not really what you want to go into the rest of the season as your bench. You need to have a little bit more than that. And let's let's move on to the guys that are available. We, we posted something earlier today about some guys, five of the bigger names that we've been talking about so far this the last couple of weeks as far as players that may be moving. And a couple of them do have ties to the Cardinals. And you got some really interesting results from that post uh we'll start with the cardinals angle of it real quick with with kyle gibson and joey gallo for the most part uh kyle gibson 14 votes uh for going to the cardinals joey gallo seven to the cardinals four to the padres nine to the white Sox, uh which doesn't really surprise me that much the white Sox are always looking to add but you know just those two guys right there you talk about filling a bench role and filling a rotation spot is that the move that the Cardinals almost have to make if they're going to make a move now or just after the all-star break to really get the most out of that deal? Um, yeah, I, you know, you would like to make them see them make that move sooner than later, you know, whether, whether they're able to make a deal like that right away, it's, it's still hard to say. A lot of these teams are going to hold on to those big chips until the week before the deadline or a couple of days before the deadline because they were going to try to get that bidding war up. So I'm not sure that you can pull a trade for a Gibson or a Gallo or one of those guys yet. I think, you know, I think that's why you kind of need to look around and see if you can find a bargain basement piece just kind of to fill holes for the next couple of weeks until maybe you can make a bigger move. Unless they just blow the doors off of the Rangers and say, hey, look, we'll give you X, Y, and Z now and maybe it's more than what they expected to get at the deadline anyway, or, I mean, it, it just feels like they can't wait to the deadline. They almost have to make that move. I don't know if some of these DFA guys would do that. I mean, could you see them? I mean, I know it's Mo and he doesn't necessarily do that, but could you see in this instance, maybe if his job were on the line going, look, I'll offer you a bigger deal than I'm comfortable doing just to get these guys in here and give my team some stability. Uh, based on his track record, I would say no. You know, I mean, he's basically told us, you know, that he's not going to do anything that could jeopardize the future. You know, I mean, I don't know how many years we're going to have to hear about the future. He's he's waiting for the future. It's what seems to be his MO every year at the trade deadline. Oh, we don't want to jeopardize the future. But at the same time, you know, you went and got Paul Goldschmidt and you went and got Nolan Arenado. Are, did you bring those guys in to win or did you just bring them in to be play? You didn't bring them in to be placeholders until – you know, Norlin Gorman's ready a couple of years from now or whenever. I mean, 
So you would think that there would be some urgency. You would think you would want to win when Yachty and Wainwright were still here, or at least make every effort to. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money there. I mean, this is probably going to be one of the last two years of Wainwright Molina. And yeah, maybe you can sit there and say, okay, next year. But next year's not even guaranteed. Adam said he may retire after this year. You don't know. So wouldn't you want to try and push a pushed across the, the the finish line this year in order to see those guys maybe go off, you know, in a blaze of glory, essentially. And yes, we could sit there and say, oh, well, Albert's not here. That That's not exactly how we wanted it to go about. But, you know, I'd still be incredibly happy to see Yachty and Wainwright walk out the field this year as World Series champions for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If, if they have to do it without Albert, I could live with that as, as long as they get that opportunity. Oh, Johan. Man, he was so close to getting out of the inning, too. He he just hit a batter to, to drive in a run with the bases loaded. He had gotten a strikeout and a pop-up to third base to uh, almost get out of the bases loaded, no out jam. Let's just, we'll, we'll see if he's able to hold on and, and keep this just a tie game. Uh, but also a pretty good job of Kisner there trying, keeping that near the plate because I'm not sure on the dead ball situation as far as uh, if a, a runner could advance if that ball got away, but that, that possibly saved a run as well. Yeah, it, it was a nice play, although I'm not sure that Kisner did a whole lot. I think it kind of came up and got him in the butt. But uh, Sometimes you got to be better lucky to be good than good. That's, that is very true. Very true. Uh, a couple of the other guys that we had put out there, uh, Trevor Story, Jose Barrios, and, and Chris Bryant as well. Uh, Trevor Story looks like uh, the White Sox are the leading candidate potentially for his services as, as our poll had them getting seven votes for Trevor Story. Uh, the Barrios, uh, five to the Cardinals, four to the Brewers, and four to the A's were what people thought there. Uh, and we were talking before the show about this as well. Milwaukee has one of the lowest batting averages uh, of any team in baseball right now, and yet they're sitting there in first place. Seeing as how that Trevor Story and Jose Barrios are, are guys that are on their radar potentially, if they make that move for, to get one or both of those guys, the Cardinals have to do something to match that, don't they? They would have to, yeah. If, if Milwaukee got one of those guys, the Cardinals would have to make a move, and it it would have to be one of the other big guys. It would have to be a Kyle Gibson or a Joey Gallo or something along those lines to kind of to kind of offset that. But uh, it'll be interesting because it seems like every year at the trade deadline, everybody's like, oh, man, Milwaukee needs that one more pitching piece. They need to get that one more pitcher. If they do that, they'll win, and every year they disappoint everybody. So let's hope this is another year where they disappoint everybody except Cardinal fans and don't make that move. Uh, very, very true. And another team that's disappointing their fans right now and could do that even more are the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and Chris Bryant is one of those guys. It's been rumored to be on the block for the last couple of years. Uh, based on our poll, the Nats and the Phils are two teams that he may go to if he is traded. And with the Cubs just cratering in the last week and a half, going from first place to about nine games out, just sorry, Cubs fans. Seriously, sorry. Uh, you know, we thought we were going through a, a rough time. You guys are going through an even rougher time. But uh, do you see Chris Bryant getting moved? And if so, is it to Washington or Philadelphia? Or is there a wild card team out there as uh, Johan Oviedo gets out of that jam with just the one run allowed? Uh, hopefully that's a, a good sign of things to come this uh, rest of this game. Yeah, I think there's a really good chance that Bryant gets moved. If if the Nationals are still in the race, I can see that being a place. That's been a place that he's been linked to multiple times in the past. And then the Philly connection with his buddy Bryce Harper, we know the two of them have wanted to play together for a while. So I can see either one of those teams being involved. A scary team that you would want to watch out for potentially is the Dodgers. You know, that could be a team, you know, is the way they like to move people around, and we know that Bryant can play about five different positions. I can see the Dodgers being in play for a guy like Chris Bryant. And, and speaking of the Dodgers, you look at uh, the stuff that's going around with Trevor Bauer right right now, and you, you shocked me a little bit today when you sent me a message basically saying it looked like the Dodgers may be done with Trevor Bauer, uh, canceling bobbleheads and things like that. Do, do we really see this as being something that's possible, that they're going to try and get out from under this contract and move on from Trevor Bauer? Is, is that something that's plausible? I mean, you know, we heard rumors today. Well, not just rumors. It's true. The Dodgers canceled Trevor Bauer bobblehead day, and then they removed all of his merchandise from their team store and their website. So that's a pretty big sign. And then Dave Roberts pretty much came out and said, you know, he doesn't expect Trevor Bauer to be around when that seven-day suspension or leave of absence is up, that he will not – he doesn't think he'll be back with the team right away. 
So it does sound like the Dodgers are trying to distance themselves. And, you know, it's not just these allegations. It's the allegations of Bauer being one of the guys that were using the sticky stuff and all of that stuff. And, you know, just Trevor Bauer's personality in general has kind of been a lightning rod for the last couple of years. You know, and maybe he's an issue in the clubhouse. We just don't know. But, yeah, you know, it is surprising to see a team. Usually a team will kind of stand by a guy. To see a team kind of cut bait and start distancing themselves this quickly without anything really happening officially to Bauer is kind of surprising. I mean, I get I get the point of why they probably cut bait as far as bobblehead and merchandise and stuff. You don't want to see, be seen as profiting off of somebody that may be – guilty of sexual assault and it just it is it'd be a bad look for the Dodgers to to continue to profit essentially off that not that I would expect a ton of people to be buying Bauer merchandise right now but just giving off that sign of look we're not going to make money off of this we we definitely are cognizant of how bad this looks and we're not going to continue to you know prop him up even if we're standing behind him we're, we're not going to do that we're going to be you know respectful of that and just pull everything from him. It may not necessarily be them totally cutting bait from him, but when you pay them the amount of money that you paid them and you find a way to maybe get out of that contract, especially if he's not going to be around uh, as far as being available to pitch, I totally get that business side of the thing of, as well for the Dodgers. It's, it's once again, it's just a really, really interesting case study. And until we really know the results of these investigations, you really can't say one way or the other how this is going to go. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, if nothing happens, if baseball doesn't suspend him or anything, the Dodgers are still paying him. So is it a situation where the Dodgers say, okay, this is a really bad look. We're just going to pay you to stay away for the rest of the year? It's very possible. I would not doubt that at all that that would be what they would do. That's, uh, yeah, I could see that being the case for sure. And once again, you don't want to profit off of somebody that is being put in a negative light, uh, whether it's true or not and once again until the investigation is complete we can't really make that judgment call so at this point in time that's what they're going to do uh let's jump back to some more trade talk because i I don't want to spend too much time on that uh aaron judge potentially heading to atlanta what have you been hearing in that regards i mean this one's this one really surprised me you know i know there were some reports earlier in the week that the yankees may be sellers and then steinbrenner came out and said oh probably not but I mean, this isn't just a, oh, Aaron Judge may come to the Braves. There's actually names There's actually names linked to this, Braves prospects. A couple of their top pitching prospects and their outfielder prospect, Christian Pache's names are all three tied to this trade. So it's something that has gotten far enough along the lines that their name's tied to it. And it'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, you know the Braves have missed Marcelo Zuna. You know, they paid him all of that money, and then, you know, he's gone away again with allegations of physical abuse. So, you know, they could use Aaron Judge, definitely. That would be a really interesting move if that happened, if the Yankees basically said, okay, we're packing it in and we're going to move really the face of the franchise at this point. Well, they have to restock their minor league system once again. I mean, they for a while there, they were doing well and not trading away the farm, and then they did again when they had a chance to go on a run. They didn't so much, and now, like you said, they're struggling this year, so it might be time to kind of restock the cupboard in a sense, and especially on the pitching side of things. That seems to be, especially rotation-wise, where their biggest question marks are at right now as far as injuries and things like that. So if they can make that happen, I don't. it'd be a real big shock, but it would be a good thing for the Yankees. And, man, the days of, of George Steinbrenner, uh, are well and truly gone for sure in, in New York. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the Yankees are in trouble. I mean, they're kind of facing, in some aspects, some of the same thing the Dodgers are because Garrett Cole, since the whole inspecting pitchers things, ERA has gone through the roof. He's not looked good. As a matter of fact, he got booed off the field at Yankee Stadium his last start. So, you know, that's a big investment that the Yankees are looking at going, when did we get did, did we get a bad deal here? And, you know, you were talking about them trading people. Another guy that was a star in New York, Luke Voigt, his name is popping up all over the place, that the Yankees may either trade or release Luke Voigt before the uh, trade deadline. Hmm. Do you, do you still want him in St. Louis here, Cardinals fans? <laughs> Again, though, I mean, it'd be nice, but where do you play him? Well, you know, he, he, the only place he plays is first base. And you got to remember, and I've said this to a lot of people and people look at me, it's 330 feet to the right field wall at Bush Stadium. It's 314 feet to Yankee Stadium. 
So he's not going to hit for the power in St. Louis that he hit for in New York. Oh, not at all. And I think that's, like you said, that's what people need to get inside their head. It's it's not apples to apples when it comes to comparing where he plays. And if he's struggling right, if they're struggling enough that they're going to release him and he's playing at Yankee Stadium with that left that, that, that porch over there, why do you think he's going to do better here? And, yes, we've talked in the past about sometimes how, how change of scenery can spark a guy. Maybe coming back home could spark a guy as well. But I just, once again, don't see that being the option, especially if it's only – place to play without the DH is first base. Yeah, you want to give Goldie a day off here and there, but you're not not enough to bring him in. Now, if the salary's right and he can provide a left-handed pop off the bench, it may not be a, a bad idea because we did already talk about DFAs uh, possibly coming in like an Adam Eaton. That might be a left-handed bat that you could bring off that might do something. But I don't I don't know if that's the case that, that the Cardinals are thinking. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, and I think Voigt would probably want to go somewhere where he thought he had more of an opportunity to play every day. You know, he's still young enough that his career, he should be able to rebound at some point, I would think. Oh, most, most definitely. Most definitely. All right, one more note from Major League Baseball as we kind of bounce back and forth between the Cardinals game and uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. I just A note I saw today that kind of made me go, man, are we underestimating how good this guy can be? Shohei Otani hit his 32nd home run of the season. Okay, and that's you know like wow, 30, 32 home runs in the first half of the season, pretty good. That that that's a pretty good pace right now. But the, the really amazing thing about it is that broke Hideki Matsui's record for home runs by a Japanese player in a season. Okay, Mats, Matsui hit thirty two in a season, and that was the record. Um, <laughs> what what are we thinking about Shohei Otani? Is, is he really the end all be all? Is he is he a really really good player? Oh, I think he's a pretty good player. I mean. Will he be able to keep that pace up in the second half? It's hard to say. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, In all of his years in the major leagues, and he's been in the league for, what, four years now, I guess, I've probably only actually watched Shohei Otani play maybe one or two games. I mean, I've seen some highlights, but to be honest, who actually watches the Angels games? No one. <laughs> no one <laughs> really does. The, not even the fans in Anaheim. Um, you know, he's one of those guys. I think he is super talented, but as – as those numbers build and the press starts to follow him a little bit more, and I know he was a superstar in Japan, but let's see what happens when the American press starts to follow him around and it becomes more of a story and that spotlight kind of beams on him a little bit. Uh, well, I think the All-Star game and All-Star week is, is going to be a, a real good test case for him because he's going to be in the home run derby. He's made it as a pitcher and a and a fielder, essentially, as well. So that's going to be a really uh, interesting case, like you said. And, and Joe, just to answer your question, uh, this page group is a lot. It's really about the Midwest. Uh, We do want to focus mostly on St. Louis because Scott and I are both both based in St. Louis. And right now the Cardinals are somewhat winning. The Blues are winning. uh, The Royals, not so much. But we will have some KC content. We'll also have some content from around the Midwest as well. We, we talk about the fact that there's an East Coast bias and a West Coast bias. There's not so much a Midwest bias. We're flyover country. We don't get the focus on as much as we probably should. So we'll touch on things like 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 Memphis, Nashville. We'll touch a little on Chicago. Yes, we will. We will touch on, on, on the Chicago area, up into the Minnesota, Indiana as well. So when news in those areas you know, kind of breaks and, and we, we will talk about that. We will talk about the Royals as well. Uh, <laughs> Joe Packers stuff. It depends. Do you like the Packers? Because uh, we could talk about the Packers in so many different lights. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it'd be really, really interesting. We've talked about Aaron Rodgers a lot and that situation there. I'll be honest. I was a Packers fan in the early nineties before the Rams came here. Now I'm more so leaning towards the Chiefs, and although I, I'm also following the Titans as well. So we, we will hit on all of that. So uh, we will definitely follow the Packers for sure, um, especially with the Aaron Rodgers situation going on. So everything Midwest we will touch on, but like I said, the focus will stick a lot towards the, the St. Louis area with the Cardinals, the Blues, St. Louis City SC as well. But we will hit on everything in the Midwest when we when we see uh, the news that drops on that. So speaking of the St. Louis Blues, we were going to jump right into the the NHL Stanley Cup Finals because Tampa Bay is getting ready to go on a, a potential three-peat for, for Pat Maroon. But about 20 minutes before we came on, you know, some news dropped here in St. Louis about one of the Blues forwards, and we were kind of like, oh, thanks for the content. We appreciate it. Vladimir Tarasenko has officially requested a trade 
from the St. Louis Blues. And, and I think we all saw this sort of coming in the last couple of weeks with all the talk about Vladimir and the, the list of teams that uh, he submitted and all that. But now it is official. He wants to trade out of St. Louis and we got to find out where he goes. And, and Rodney asked, where do you think Tarasenko goes? My personal take is I think the Blues would be smart to trade him to an Eastern Conference team, get him out of that conference, get him into a conference that maybe he actually might be a little bit more skilled to play in. And also, we only have to see him like twice a year unless we make the finals against the team that he's playing for. So my thought is I hope that they find a way to get him to the Eastern Conference. Now, Scott hit on a really interesting trade proposition last week uh, with the New York Rangers that may land a St. Louisan back here in the Blue Note. We got to get this one out there, Scott. So lay us on this trade that you want to happen and that we need to push to happen. Well, you know, everybody in St. Louis has been talking about Matthew Kachuk, that they would love, that would be the big move that they would like to make. And while we'd love to bring the St. Louis kid back home, the Blues probably don't have enough prospects to send to Calgary or young players to make that trade happen without really kind of gutting their future. So my proposal is why don't we trade, make this a three-team trade, we trade Tarasenko to the Rangers. We get him to the East. And then the Rangers and the Blues send a combination package of some young players to Calgary to get Matthew Kuchuk to St. Louis. That would make all three teams happy. I think it would fix some of the problems for everybody and uh, would make the fan base happy for sure. Oh, yeah, no question. And for Tarasenko to go play with fellow countryman Artemi Panarin, who he played with in, as a youth and actually told the Blues to draft – that would be a good piece there. He gets to play with a guy he's familiar with, likes to play with, could revitalize his career there and really pair well with Panarin. It would give the Rangers potential offense. You send a slew of, of prospects, like you said, to Calgary, which helps them rebuild. And then Matthew Kachuk comes down here. Now, I will say this. Uh, a lot of Calgary fans are, are upset, are upset that Matthew Kachuk is being rumored to be traded out of Calgary. Apparently, Matthew Kuchuk is not unhappy in Calgary. Apparently, according to Flames fans, everything's all hunky-dory, and all of us people here, especially in St. Louis, are just smoking crack, essentially, and that uh, it's pipe dreams that Matthew Kuchuk is uh, being moved from Calgary. So I, I know you know, living in that, in that area, you, you don't want to believe that one of your guys, a star player especially, does not want to play there and wants to be moved. And, you know, I don't wish somebody ill will or, you know, not wanting to play in a city. And I, I, if Matthew Kachuk is happy in Calgary, great. Have a great career in Calgary. Hopefully the Flames do well. But from everything that we've heard and all the national pundits that have, that have spoken, it's an, almost an inevitability that Matthew Kachuk is either going to be traded or he's, he's going to find a way to get out of Calgary here in the next year or so. So that might be the move that makes the most sense to everybody. And yeah, as a Flames fan, I, I don't want to be in a rebuild again. I mean, it seems like I'm in perpetual rebuild mode with the flames. So it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but from what you said, that trade sounds good to me. Well, and if you're the flames and from, like you said, from everything we've heard from the national pundits, you know, there was a report last week that Matthew Kachuk has basically told them the only way that he won't be a free agent is if he gets traded to St. Louis, then he would sign an extension that he wouldn't sign an extension anywhere else. Because no matter where he plays, if once he becomes a free agent, he's coming home, basically. So, I mean, if you're Calgary and you're hearing those things, or if Kachuk has kind of led you to believe that, wouldn't you, I mean, it's in your best interest to try to trade him and get as much young prospects and young players as you can to try to fill that void. Yeah, it certainly will. And and going back to the Tarasenko thing, you know, trading a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko frees up seven and a half million dollars. Well, you've got a guy like Jaden Schwartz that needs to be paid right now. <clears throat> and if you do bring in a Matthew Kachuk, you'll have to pay him as well an extension. And you know that that money comes off the books next year anyway. It's not like the Tarasenko contract was super long, and we're having to worry about paying him for a long time. Uh, but by freeing up the Tarasenko money. It does give you the ability to sign a guy like Jaden Schwartz to a long-term deal. And I look at it as, as Jaden Schwartz is essentially the next Alex Steen, as far as a glue guy, as far as the veteran leadership, as far as a guy that's going to play, play third or fourth line, but he's going to be integral to this team. Is that the same mindset that you have that Jaden Schwartz, although he does have an injury history, Alex Steen had one as well. Is Jaden Schwartz that guy that you want to see stick around in that Steen role, essentially? I would, you know, I've been a Jaden Schwartz fan for a long time. You know, I've 
talked for the last couple of years that I thought letting J.D. Schwartz out of St. Louis was a bad idea. So, yeah, I can definitely see him kind of filling one of those roles, being one of those leaders, one of the guys that's been around and kind of helped create that culture and helped kind of lead that culture with this new young group of players that are coming through the Blues organization right now. And with that money that's freed up, you, you see them potentially finding a way to re-sign a Mike Hoffman or a Tyler Bozak as well. I mean, I think Tyler Bozak may be more likely to come back, but if you're getting rid of Vladimir Tarasenko, you're going to need a scorer to step up. Could you see them making a pitch to Mike Hoffman and say, hey, look, I know it didn't start off great, but you kind of came on there at the end when we started to utilize you in that role. Will he Would he be willing to come back and would Coach Berube be willing to play him in the role that he should be playing in. Well, and, and that's the whole thing. I mean, they would have to talk about that. You know, Burby's got to play him in the right situations. And then it just comes down to Hoffman's willingness to to accept that role and come back. You know, was he happy at the end of the season? Did he finally feel like he fit in and think, okay, maybe I go back there next year and it's a lot smoother. You know, I kind of have a, I have a year this year like Justin Falk had last year where that second year, everything's kind of clicked more and I felt more comfortable and things went that way. So if you're the blues, I think you definitely have to reach out to Mike Hoffman and at least see what his level of interest in coming back is. And then the other elephant in the room, and we're going to talk about this is, you know, he, he's going for a three peat tonight and that's Pat Maroon. He's very well could do that. Um, I had to, I got to look, I, I think he might be a free agent. No, he's still got, I think he's still got one more year left on his contract. Cause I think he signed a three year deal with, uh, with them, yeah, he's not a he's an unrestricted free agent after next year. I was gonna sit there and say, well, would you see an inquire with Tampa Bay of potentially bringing back Pat Maroon to St. Louis for one more hurrah? I mean, he's only making nine hundred thousand dollars next year. You saw what this team was with him. You saw what this team lacked the last couple of years as far as a big body presence. Would you would you possibly possibly contact Tampa after he wins his third cup and say, look? What can we do to bring him? I mean, Tampa Bay's in cap trouble, and it's only $900,000, so it's not going to be huge off their books. But could you see the Blues making a phone call, especially if they get rid of Vladimir Tarasenko? Uh, I don't really think so. I mean, I mean, you could. It doesn't hurt to call and see. But, you know, if the Blues really wanted him here, they would have kept him when he won the cup the first time, that first cup, and was kind of the hometown hero and, you know, was kind of the face of everything after they won that cup in a lot of ways. And if you're Tampa, like you said, it's only $900,000. The guy's helped you win back-to-back cups, and he's won three in a row. Why would you trade him away? I mean, yeah, like I said, only $900,000. But if if that's all it took to get you under the cap with the team currently constructed, how, I mean, honestly, how much has Pat Maroon done for this team? I mean, he scored the game-tying goal the other night to send the game to overtime, the one that, that Montreal ended up winning. Uh, but he's – I mean, it, it's – he, he's, he did more with St. Louis in 2019 than he's done with Tampa the last two years, albeit they have won the cup, but they've had a lot more talent top end wise. Um, I, I think he would be a great mentor back here. And how, how about winning your fourth in a row with your hometown team to bookend your, your career? <laughs> that would be really, really cool. So it may not be Tampa Bay making that phone call. Does Pat Maroon tell Tampa to make that phone call? The only reason I would say no is if you're Pat Maroon, you know, you're the hometown hero. You're always going to be the guy that scored that goal and won the cup with the Blues. If you would do that, if you would come back again and things don't go well and the team doesn't play well or you don't play well, and then does that kind of hurt that memory? Does it kind of take some of the tarnish off of it? Because, you know, then everybody's going to remember, oh, yeah, he came back and it didn't go well. He wasn't the same guy. The team wasn't the same thing. So, because of the fact that he doesn't want to damage that image, that that memory of that year, I don't think it happens. Okay. I mean, I, I think you're probably right. I think it'd be a long shot, uh, but it, uh, crazier things have happened for sure. Uh, l- let's touch on before we move away from the NHL uh, as the game is getting in under the 10-minute mark uh, in game five right now, a 3-1 to series lead for Tampa Bay. They lead one nothing uh, on a goal by uh, – Ross Colton in the second period, just about five and a half to go in that one in the second period is when he scored that goal uh, to put Tampa Bay up one. The Blues have had a lot of turnover uh, over the last couple of years as far as veteran leadership, veterans themselves. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of a changing of the guard. Ryan O'Reilly is in at captain. You've got Braden Shen up there. 
like we said, Jaden Schwartz more than likely will be re-signed and Vladimir Tarasenko will be gone. So you've lost a lot of your core leadership from that 2019 team. Um, are, are we a little worried that this team is taking a step back or do you see their championship windows still being open? Uh, you know, Tom Stillman talked about it. He said he's going to spend at the cap again this year because he believes that the, the window is still open. But with all the leadership and veteran presence that has left this team, do you really see them being in the championship equation, at least in the next two years? I think it really depends a lot on what they do this offseason. You know, what kind of moves they make to kind of fix the holes that they had last year. I think the window is still open, but I think it's going to be, I think it's really going to come down to the moves they make. You know, what do they get for Tarasenko? What free agents do they go out and get? Can they get that left winger that they need? Can they kind of fill some holes on the defense? Um, it's going to be a big year for the offseason. And if they make a couple of big moves, then yeah, I think their window is still open. But, you know, it is starting to close because you are seeing guys like O'Reilly and Shin and, and David Perron start to get a little bit older. That's very true. And we do have the expansion draft coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Make sure you tune into the premiere episode of Toasted Blues on Sunday as we kind of go down our expansion draft. Uh, each one of us, Mason, Tom, myself, we will break down everybody and every team that we think is going to be making a move at the expansion draft and, and really see who the blues may be losing. My bet is Vince Dunn. Uh, a couple other guys, maybe potentially in the mix. Uh, we thought Vladimir Tarasenko might be one of those, but it looks like he may not be eligible depending on the amount of playing time he had. So that might be a, another piece that he goes, but Seattle might be a team that you might be able to swing a deal for as well with Vladimir. Uh, maybe you trade, Tarasenko there to get them to take somebody else as well. So there's a lot of intricacies that go into that. So we'll be talking about that on Sunday. So make sure you join us at 6.30 on Toasted STL for Toasted Blues. Premier episode of that as well. Uh, about nine and a half to go in the third period. Tampa Bay once again a one nothing lead. Looking to go for the three-peat or for Pat Maroon tonight. Back-to-back uh, -back for Tampa Bay, but a three-peat for Pat Maroon. We'll see if that happens as well. Checking on the Cardinals game real quick. A 2-1 to one San Francisco lead. So, uh, yeah, maybe not a sweep tonight for the Cardinals. Uh, let's jump over to our overtime segment. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball and football because, yes, we are getting so, so close to football again. I cannot wait. But we're going to touch on the NBA first. You had game one of the NBA finals last night between the Bucks and the Suns. The big surprise, Giannis. Giannis was back in the lineup with a knee injury. He looked pretty good last night. 20, uh, 20 points, 17 boards in 35 minutes. Chris Middleton led the way for the Bucks with 29 points. But the Suns take game one. And Chris Paul had a hell of a game last night. 32 points, 9 assists in 37 minutes. It, it, the question is really right out there. Is Chris Paul going to be able to hold up? in order to win the finals for the Suns because, you know, he, he missed a couple games at the, at the start of the Western Conference Finals that had to deal with COVID issues. He looks like he's back in form, but is he going to be able to hold up in a long potential series with the Bucks? You know, that's going to be the big question because that's been kind of the nagging thing Chris Paul's whole career is just injuries popping up at bad times in playoff runs. It happened to him quite a few times with the Clippers and at different points in his career, um, you know, I think this is probably the year where he wills himself. He'll probably drag himself onto that court no matter what, you know, in his 16th year, finally getting a shot to win this, to win this championship. So I think he's going to do everything he can to get out there and play, but you brought up a good point. Devin Booker has got to step up. He scored a decent amount of points last night, but he's not really shot good the last three or four games from the floor. So he's got to be a little bit more accurate, you know, just get his field goal percentage up a little bit get himself back into that 30-point range. I mean, 27 is nothing to sneeze at, but he needs to be in that 30, 32-point range, I think, for them really to have a good shot to win because if Giannis gets healthier with the supporting cast that he has in Milwaukee, this is going to be a tough series for Phoenix to win. It, it really is, and you have to wonder if the, the nose injury and the mask that he was wearing has kind of affected Devin in this instance because he has, since that injury, he's kind of – ticked down a little bit. Still been a, an impact player and, and somebody that you want on your team to lead the way, uh, but that injury and that, that mask situation has really kind of thrown him for a bit of a loop. Yeah, and those things can throw throw things off because it can make it hard to breathe a little bit, hard to get air sometimes, and just, you know, it can just constrict you a little bit. So hopefully he can get either away from that mask or get used to it a little bit more so that it doesn't affect his game as we move forward in the series. Okay, so on the sun side of things, two 
big time questions depending on uh, you know the outcome of this series. Suns win the series. Is Chris Paul a Hall of Famer in your mind? I think he is. I think he is. I think he's one of the best point guards in the league this generation. Um, you know, he's definitely one of those guys. So I think I think even if they don't win, I think he's probably a Hall of Famer. So yeah, I would say yes. And then Devin Booker, does he have to win the championship this year to be considered one of the next generation, or has he done enough this year and in the postseason to be one of those poster childs for the NBA going forward? I think he's done enough this year to whether they win or not to make that next step to where he's def- his name is definitely in that top three or four of the best young players. If they win, then I think he kind of jumps to the forefront as really being one of the guys who could be the next face of the league. So either way, I think he's put his name in that conversation. But if they win, I think he jumps to the front of the list. That, that, that's a great answer right there. Uh, switching over to the Bucks, like, like we said, Giannis, 20 points, 17 points in 35 minutes. Chris Middleton, 29 points. Drew Holiday didn't have a great game, only 17 points, but he was still up there double figures. The The Bucks had four starters in double figures. Uh, you look at the bench scoring, it was very even. Both teams had 22 points off the bench. Uh, Phoenix had a little bit more impacted two guys with 10 points whereas Milwaukee's was kind of spread out a little bit but but looking at this you know we talked a little bit about this in the Eastern Conference Finals about you know the fact that you know Giannis finally has a supporting cast around him you know what is it going to take for Milwaukee to win this series Giannis is there he's looking healthier than he was obviously at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals but but what does Milwaukee have to do in order to win this series Uh, because the Suns the Suns are difficult Milwaukee's got to kind of take over and take control of the pace of play, kind of dictate the way the game's played. Because if you look at the game last night, Phoenix really controlled the flow of the game. Milwaukee really kind of Milwaukee really kind of was reacting to what Phoenix did. They never really took charge at any point in that game. So they have to be a little bit more assertive on the offensive, defensive end, kind of play their style of basketball and just kind of take more control of the flow of the game than they did in game one. And we both feel that this series is more than likely going to go seven. Uh, it's a, a highly competitive series. You've got stars on both sides and, and pretty evenly matched series. You're the NBA, though. Are you are you freaking out a little bit that this was is what you're going to get? And are you expecting the ratings to be any good? Um, I think they're going to be down a little bit just because, you, again, you're not talking about big markets, Milwaukee and Phoenix. But I think you're going to get better ratings than a lot of people anticipate because, again, you've got some guys – You've got a guy like Giannis who is one of the faces of the league right now, and then you've got guys like Booker that are making their way up that ranking, and then you've got the veteran in Chris Paul that a lot of people are wanting to see win that championship finally. So I think the ratings will be down a little bit, but I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think. I hope so too because this uh, I, I've gotten into the NBA again the last couple of years, and uh, it's, it's because of the – spread of talent essentially to some of these smaller mid-market teams and seeing them be successful. Uh, you know, obviously Milwaukee has a, has a good history. They really do. But a lot of people don't realize that, that it's their history because it was back in the sixties and seventies. You know, they haven't really been outside of like Richard Jefferson. They haven't really had like that star power that makes you want to watch Milwaukee. And then, you know, for me, I Phoenix, for me, I remember them back in the in the mid-90s with, with Charles Barkley and the duels that they had with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It's nice to see them back. And, and you know, they even had back in the Steve Nash days as well. So it's not like Phoenix has kind of been off the radar. They've been there over the last couple of decades. But it's nice to see them back and, and competitive and have a chance at a championship because, you know, you're not going to see much as far as, like, the Coyotes are concerned or, or the Diamondbacks. So maybe you got to get something down there in that Phoenix area. That's very true. That's very true. And and like you said, Phoenix has had some fun teams to watch. Like you said, those Barkley, Kevin Johnson, Marley teams of the mid-90s. And then you had Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire down there for a while. So, you know, they've they've had guys and they've had fun teams to watch. They've just never been able to get over the hump. That's very true. And now speaking of Arizona, I'm going to flip over to the NFL real quick because a Cardinal legend might be in the cards for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are looking at a couple of uh, free agents, and one of those is Larry Fitzgerald, the other one being former Ram Todd Gurley. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what you've been hearing as far as the potential of Fitzgerald or Gurley moving over to the Chiefs and how that could just be insane video game numbers for for the Chiefs this year. (laughs) 
Well, you, we know that both of those guys are veteran guys kind of moving towards the end of their careers, and especially Larry wants to win that championship. And, I mean, it's still possible that Larry Fitzgerald retires. You know, he's not committed to coming back this year. But, uh, you know, Kansas City would be the perfect landing spot for him because he would be kind of a different piece to that offense. You know, he would be more the short short yardage, five, six, seven-yard kind of the slant, curl-type receiver, possession receiver-type guy that would take a little bit of pressure off of Travis Kelsey because then you have two of those guys working the middle, which may open up the outside even more for a guy like Tyreek Hill if that's humanly possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald fits in a lot of ways because he would bring another dynamic to their receiving game. And then Gurley, you know, they, Kansas City's kind of shuffled in and out back up running backs the last couple of years. But, you know, he would be a nice fit for to go behind Edward Zolaire, you know, who's kind of that – joystick type running back where Gurley is more the pounding guy. He's also a good receiver out of the backfield. You know, I mean, his knees are not going to hold up. You're not going to get the 25 or 30 carries a game out of Todd Gurley that you used to, but he's a guy that you can get 10 or 12 carries out of in a couple of catches and can be impactful, especially for a team like the Chiefs that have a rebuilt offensive line that should be pretty good and a good passing game. I think either one of those guys or both would be really nice pieces to that Kansas City offense. So early indications, even without these guys going to Kansas City, is Kansas City installed as the favorite, at least in the AFC? And are we looking at a potential rematch of the Chiefs and Bucks this year? Because obviously Tampa Bay's come back completely outside of Antonio Brown. Uh, and the Chiefs have rebuilt that offensive line, like you said. So they've improved. Even without bringing in a Fitzgerald or Gurley, are we on track to having a rematch in the Super Bowl this year? I think it's possible. I think it's much more likely that Tampa Bay represents the NFC than the Chiefs do the AFC just because there's so much more competition, high-level competition in the AFC. I think Kansas City is the favorite, but not by a whole lot because you've got Buffalo and you've got Cleveland and you've got the Chargers and you've got all of these teams that are just a half a step behind the Chiefs. I think they are the favorites, but I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk in the AFC this year. Well, you look at the Browns, they they pushed Kansas City uh, a lot. The Bills pushed Kansas City a lot last year, and those probably are going to be the two teams that, that will be the ones that Kansas City has to look out for. But you also, like you said, you cannot look at the teams in, and overlook the teams in the AFC West. The Chargers are going to be right there. Justin Herbert has been was great last year. Um, I, I know you're going to probably laugh, but the, the Raiders might be improved this year. Uh, and, and even Denver, I mean, they're not going to be a, a team that's going to be fighting for a division, but they're they, they're another team that has given Kansas City issues. So you can't even overlook your own division, and that could hurt Kansas City in the long run, or it could help them as well. They get to, to face that tough competition, so by the time the playoffs roll around, they're weathered and experienced and kind of know what's coming at them. Uh, as far as the NFC is concerned, yeah, I mean, you've got Tampa Bay and you've kind of got no one else. Uh, you know, we talk about in the East how the Giants might be a dark horse team that could win that division and and also make some noise in the playoffs. And, you know, wouldn't that be great that Eli Manning goes back to the Giants in an advisory role, but they somehow be the team that knocks Tampa Bay out of the playoffs and Tom Brady out there? What was it? Uh, Peyton Manning said, uh, thanks, Ma, because if not for you, Tom Brady would have double-digit Super Bowl rings. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that would be pretty neat if Eli went to the Giants and we saw that matchup again with him as an advisor there helping Daniel Jones. But, yeah, I mean, the NFC, when you look at it, there's just nothing that really excites you. I mean, you, you look around and you're like, it's just kind of, eh. You know, I mean, could Seattle be okay? Yeah. Could San Francisco? You know, there's a lot of questions about what they're going to do at quarterback. You know, the Rams. A lot of people think the Rams are going to be good. You know, they could be. I mean, I, I expect Matthew Stafford to have a pretty solid year if he stays healthy. But, you know, that defense is getting a little bit older. Uh, the NFC North, you know, the Aaron Rodgers saga, who knows what's going to happen there. You know, like we said, the Cowboys and the Eagles are still not going to be very good. So, you know, the NFC is just blah. And we talk about the AFC. We named all those teams. Two teams that we didn't talk about that could sneak up and surprise people. Don't count on Indianapolis with Carson Wentz. Yep. I think they're going to be surprisingly sneaky. And then a team that's been right there on the verge got a whole lot better. Tennessee with Julio Jones added to that offense. They're going to be right there in the hunt as well. That they are. Uh, yeah. Once again, as a fan of the Titans, I still I still overlook them as well because they are in a good division. 
They've got a lot of talent, and you like what Ryan Tannehill's done down there. You've got Derrick Henry. Now you've added uh, Julio to A.J. Brown. I, I think this is going to be one of the more exciting NFL seasons that we've had in a little bit of a while. Uh, we got about a minute 40 left in the uh, third period of Tampa Bay, Montreal. Carey Price exited the net, but he's going back in as the faceoff uh, comes outside of the Tampa Bay zone. Tampa, a one nothing lead. They've held Montreal to 19 shots while putting 30 of their own on Carey Price. So we're we're coming down to the nitty-gritty of this, and, and hopefully we'll be live with you when a, a new Stanley Cup champion is crowned or an old one because Tampa Bay is looking for a third a, a three-peat. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And as that counts down, we're going to jump over to uh, some more NFL talk as well. The XFL was talking to the CFL about potential merging, uh, and as of today, it comes down that the, the talks kind of have stalled a little bit. And the, the CFL is going to have their season start in August. They'll crown a champion by the end of the year and, and kind of go from there. The XFL was looking at a spring target date of 2022. Well, now that's being pushed back by a year to 2023 as it was announced today. So it, it's good to see the progression of the XFL. They, they, they're not rushing into things. Uh, obviously, they're not trying to just string something out there and put it out. But they are taking their steps. It's a little disappointing that they weren't able to find some sort of common ground with the CFL. But the statement that they kind of came out today made it sound like it's it's not a dead issue. It, it's not something that they're just walking completely away from. It's that at this point in time, with where the CFL is at, it's not feasible. But could we see a, a potential XFL-CFL merger in the future? And if not, what can we expect in the XFL in 2023? Yeah, I don't know. You know, the, most of the fans in Canada are not fond of the idea of that merger. They're really opposed to it. So, I mean, if a fan base for the whole league is against something, I don't know how positive you can feel about that merger happening. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect from the XFL because now you're, like you said, you've pushed it back to 2023, and. Does how much momentum does that still have when he comes back? I mean, that fan base we know that the Battle Hawks had a pretty passionate fan base, but when you go away for two or three years and then you come back, is that same fire still there? Do you still think, okay, you know, here we go, we're going to start this again? Or in the back of your mind, is it one of those things where you're like, okay, the Rock's doing this? Is his heart really into it, or is this going to be one of those things that you know he's an actor and this is just kind of like Vince McMahon did when he started it? You know, this is just kind of a side thing, and if it works, it works. It's not a big deal to him. So I, I think there's a lot of questions about the viability of the XFL still going forward. I, I think so, too. And, and real quick, Tampa Bay has won the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. Pat Maroon is a three-time Stanley Cup champion, three straight for Pat Maroon. So congratulations to Tampa Bay and Pat Maroon on that championship. Uh, look forward to the St. Louis celebration when he has his day with the Cup because he'll actually get a chance to celebrate with the fans again because last year – not so much. So uh, congratulations to Tampa Bay. Uh, let's go ahead and continue on with uh, this talk with the XFL. And you, know, you talk about the fact that is the popularity going to wane? You know, St. Louis may be able to withstand that. But with everything going down as far as the lawsuits and the, the things going on with St. Louis and Los Angeles and the NFL and, and the potential rumors of maybe an NFL team coming back to St. Louis – with 2023 being two years away, if in that time frame it's determined that St. Louis will get an expansion NFL team, does that kind of put the kibosh on the XFL? Because St. Louis and Seattle were like the two real big heavy markets. And yes, Seattle obviously has an NFL team and they still support the XFL. But if you're if you're talking about an expansion NFL team having to coexist with an XFL team, do we even see the support for the for the Battle Hawks, or do we see more support for the Battle Hawks and maybe the expansion team not getting the the love that they may deserve? I think St. Louis is a big enough sports town and a big enough football town that it would support both. You know, the Battle Hawks, like you said, you know, probably you know going to draw twenty or twenty five thousand people. You know, if you get an expansion team, they're not going to sell out the dome probably, but you're going to draw a big enough crowd that you'll still be one of the bigger fan bases in the XFL. And we know that if St. Louis would get an expansion team as sports crazy and football crazy as this city truly is, it would it would be amazing. You know, it would just be it'd be something that NFL fans, while they say, Oh, we don't want it back, ninety percent of those people in their hearts really do want football to come back. I, I agree. And, and 
Bruh, Tampa won. Yes, they did. And hey, uh, Mason, uh, if you're listening, uh, Tampa did not win in four. So just to put that out there, you, you said they'd win in four. They did not win in four. They won in five. So yeah, I mean, you were close. But he Montreal close. got a Montreal got a game. I think <laughs> I think Tom and I both said they were going to get at least one. So Mason, you were wrong, even though you probably were right. So we'll see how that, see how that plays out. Uh, Cardinals still trail two to one in San Francisco. Edmundo Sosa just flew out to center field. Uh, yeah, going back to the to the NFL thing. Uh, yeah, I do think they'll support him. The, the big question mark will be uh, the stadium. I mean, obviously, I don't think the Dome would be where the NFL team would play if they were to come here. But if that's the case, you know, since you would have an NFL-ready stadium, would you have the Battle Hawks play there? Or would you try to use that Dome experience, consolidate it like you, like you were going to do for the XFL season, and let that be their building and the NFL team have their own stadium I mean, how would that work out? Is that something that would be feasible or would they want to try and keep it all together? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, the Dome is going to be there. So, you know, I think if you get an expansion team, more than likely, you know, they may play that first season in the Dome. The NFL may put some money into it to renovate the Dome. You play there for the first year while a new stadium is being built, potentially, depending on how far out, you know, they give you that expansion team. Um uh, you know, I think the XFL would probably play in the Dome more than likely. And then hopefully maybe we get that riverfront retractable stadium. Or I'm fine with the open-air stadium on the riverfront. I know a lot of people were like, oh, it'll be cold. But, man, that would be so cool to be down on that riverfront in December and January in St. Louis. I mean, Chicago plays in Soldier Field on the riverfront, and it's cold. And, yes, I know that they're talking about moving away from Soldier Field. That's a whole other story uh, as that, that saga goes on. But they play there. Green Bay plays in the freaking – tundra so i mean are we just complaining because it's cold no i mean that that's what football is football is playing in the mud the rain the cold every element that you can possibly think of i would be the same way i'd be fine with it you bundle up you drink a lot of adult beverages you warm yourself up that way and you have fun at a football game yeah absolutely the the uh, two coldest days of my life at a sporting event or anywhere or at football games. One of them was at Faroe Field on a day when it was zero. That was about as cold as I've ever been. The other one was at Old Municipal, Old Municipal Stadium in Cleveland for a Browns game. <laughs> I, I got to get out to a Browns game for sure because especially with them on the rise. Yeah, that that's – I agree with you. Football games, that's what it is. I mean, I was in marching band in high school and – that, that was some of the most fun I ever had was at, at football games and when it was cold and you could barely play your instrument, but you got a chance to watch hard-nosed football and just enjoy the experience. Absolutely incredible for sure. Um, like I said, Cardinals trailing 2-1 to one in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, Tampa Bay, Pat Maroon, three-peat for him, back-to-back for Tampa Bay. Game two of the NBA Finals will be tomorrow night between the Bucks and the Suns. Uh, lots of great stuff ahead for you guys here on Toasted Tavern. Scott, you got anything else before we head out tonight? Oh uh, yeah, just real quick. People that were asking earlier, you know, what is this show about? Is it Midwest? Like you said, while we do cover St. Louis more than anything else, as we get into football season, especially we're going to expand. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, hopefully, we're going to do some stuff with the Chiefs. We'll definitely have lots of Chiefs news. Uh, same thing with Mizzou. Uh, we're going to have some things going on with Mizzou. Hopefully, we're going to have some interviews to uh, talk about here coming up real shortly, and uh, hopefully, maybe we'll have some trips out to Columbia and Kansas City. And we're also going to be doing some stuff with the Royals. We'll have uh, Royals pregame and postgame announcer Joel Goldberg on on the 19th for an interview. And then sometime in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have an exciting announcement about a potential trip out to the west side of the state. So stay tuned for that. So Kansas City fans, don't worry. We are definitely not neglecting you. We'll be spending some time focusing on the Kansas City area as we move into the fall. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait for that. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, We want to thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you come back every weeknight at 9 o'clock for Toasted Tavern. Uh, We just have a lot of fun here. I mean, it's it's sports. We're talking. We're having fun. And it, it helps sometimes when your teams win it's not every night for here for us here in St. Louis. And, you know, if we do get an XFL team back, if we do get an NFL team, we're going to have to change up our, uh, our border here. We're going to have to add some more logos. Holy cow. That would be incredible. I'm fine with adding more logos, man. I'm all good with that. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'll be back with you tomorrow for Scott. I am Wags. Have a great rest of your night. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. 
You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted. <laughs> 